I started a sermon series a couple weeks ago on the commands of Jesus because Jesus told us several times to know his commands and do them. He told us to go and teach his commands. So it occurred to me, how many of his commands do we actually know? How many do we actually obey? And what do we need to do to, to fix that, to correct that? Last week, do you remember what the one was last week? Repent. That's right. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was in Matthew 4, verse 17. Just a couple verses down in verse 19 is the second command. Matthew 4, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there it is. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the first four disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a couple things I want to say about these commands before we get into it, in case you weren't here last week, just to catch us up. First of all, I want you to, we have to know what the commands are in order to obey them, don't we? He who has my commands and does them, he it is who loves me. So having his commands and doing them are important. John 14, 21, to show our love for Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, then you don't really need to worry about his commands. You don't really need to worry about obeying them. Secondly, let me, let me make clear that we don't do Jesus' commands to earn our salvation. You can't ever do enough to earn your salvation. We obey his commands because he has saved us, because he has loved us. So it's, it's a reflection of our love for, for Jesus that we obey his commands, not an attempt to earn any merit badges or earn our salvation. The third thing I want you to remember is when Jesus gives us command, it's not a negative thing like a general or an officer giving an enlisted soldier. It's not intended to be mean or cruel. It is instructions from a loving father to provide for you your own good, your own well-being, to steer you away from harm and to point you in the direction that will bring you joy. That's what God's commands do. It's always something to bring us joy. And the fourth thing is that uh, these are the standard. It's like, remember we talked about McDonald's last week and the success of their franchises because they have all these manuals and regulations and instructions that every restaurant has to adhere to, and they have regular inspections, and if they don't adhere to them, they lose their franchise. Uh, that, that happens all the time. And I, I know Wendy's does that, and Chick-fil-A does that, and... If you franchise out a restaurant, then you've got to go around and make sure they're doing everything according to your standards, according to, to, the, to the, the way you have established things. And so that's what Jesus has given. He's given us commands as, as gold standards that we aspire to, that we obey because we love him, and obeying them is a reflection of that love, just like a father has instructions for children who live in his house. 
you know, do this, don't do this. If you're going to live under my roof, do this. And it's because the father is trying to guide the children into areas of maturity and responsibility. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. So the second command, the first command is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second command is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, are those commands just for those first four disciples? No. These commands that we're looking at are not just specific commands to specific people at a specific time and place. The commands we're going to be looking at are general commands that Jesus would give to any of us, anytime, any place. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray together. God, we will follow. How closely we'll follow, I guess, depends on how much we love you and our understanding of what following requires and the demands that you've placed upon us. We, so many times we say we're followers, but we just continue living our own lives and doing what we want to do. And so help us, Lord, to lay those things down, forsake all, and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What do you think following Jesus means? If I were to say follow Jesus and, and you say you're a follower of Jesus, what would you, how would you define that? How do you qualify that? What does it mean to follow Jesus? If you think it's just getting baptized and coming to church a couple times a month, it really is more than that. It really is more than just being an occasional Christian. Following Jesus means so much more. And that's what I want us to look at for a little bit this morning. Because following Jesus is what being a Christian is all about. Following Jesus and how well you follow him and how closely you follow him not only determines how much you love him, but it, it determines the kind of Christian that you're going to be. Jesus, he did a lot of mighty works. He did a lot of miracles and he offered a lot of great teachings on the mountainside throughout. He did a lot of different things, but the most important thing Jesus did and the thing he emphasized over and over again were not the miracles and was not the teachings. What Jesus emphasized was the relationship that he had with his followers. Jesus was all about introducing people to God, showing them who God was and making God known to the people and doing everything he could to bring people to himself. And so it wasn't the works, it wasn't the teachings, it was the relationship of, of calling people to himself, follow me, follow me. And when I think about that, a lot of times I think about, do you remember the, the few times that it snows in South Georgia? And, and someone in front of you has footprints in the snow? Or, or someone in front of you has footprints in the mud or something like that? And, and, and as a child, I remember trying to put my footprints in the same footprints that my father did. You know, trying to follow in his steps. A lot of times I think about following Jesus as doing that, as putting our footprints in the footprints that Jesus made. And that means more than just trekking along behind him. It's more than just 
listening to him and obeying his teachings or giving intellectual assent. It's more than just living a life in line with what he said to do. It's more than all of that. It's more than just getting baptized. It's more than just coming to church two or three times a month. Following Jesus and following, putting your footprints in his footprints means living your life for God. Living your life for God. And what God desires supersedes everything else in your life. It means setting aside your goals and your dreams and your plans and your aspirations and living the life that God created for you. Fulfilling the purpose that God created you to fulfill. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John and Jesus said, follow me, what did they do? They didn't return to fishing, did they? They didn't finish mending their nets and go out the next night fishing again. What did they do? They literally changed their lives and followed him. They literally, physically followed Jesus. And that's what all the first 12 disciples did. They forsook everything and followed him. And I'm not sure we do that today. I mean, I know there's, there's not a physical Jesus walking around that we just follow around like a, like a crowd. But it means a whole lot more than just coming to church and, and getting baptized. It is a change in life to be in line with what God desires for you and his purpose for you and laying aside everything that you want for yourself. A lot of people think following Jesus means being nice, means being kind and loving of others. It means obeying the golden rule, doing unto others the things that you would have them do unto you. And a lot of people out there are admiring Jesus or they're curious about Jesus or they're investigating Jesus but they're not really following Jesus because following Jesus means realigning all of your priorities, seeking the kingdom of God first and everything else will be added unto you. So what does that mean for you? What does following Jesus mean for you? I can't say because following Jesus is going to be something different for everybody because God doesn't have one plan fits all. God has a specific purpose and plan for each one of you according to the gifts and the talents and the resources that he has entrusted to you. And to the extent that you utilize those gifts and, and, and use those talents, not bury those talents, but use those talents for God and for his kingdom, to that extent, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me also say, I believe Jesus calls everybody in the world to follow him. It is a command that he gives to everybody. Everybody, follow me. But not everybody does it. Maybe some, maybe some people haven't heard that call yet, and it's up to our missionaries, it's up to us to voice that call for him. Maybe a lot of folks have heard that call, but they have all kinds of excuses. And they say, not yet. Jesus says, if you follow me, what? I will make you fishers of men. Now, I had to realign all of my thinking about being a fisher of men this past week. Because when I think about fishermen, the only kind of fisher, fisherman that I have ever seen or ever experienced 
is what? Somebody standing in a boat or on the shore with a pole and a line casting, casting it out into the water with, a, with a, a hook on it and bait and maybe a cork on the top and watching the cork go under and yanking it out. Isn't that what you usually think of? I mean, when I drive in on King Road every day, there's always somebody fishing at Lakewood. In the morning and in the evening, probably almost any time of day, they're standing there and they've got a pole and, and sometimes they'll, you know, I kind of look at those telephone lines going overhead and they've got a lot of fishing line strung around them. And, but they're, they're casting their line into the water. That's not at all what Jesus was talking about. Not at all, because the kind of fishing that Jesus was talking about is right here. Um, Here's Simon and Peter casting a net into the sea. And down in verse 21, here are James and John mending their nets. Over in Luke 5, 5, let me read this real quickly because this is how Simon Peter was fishing. Um, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is verse 3 of Luke 5, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish, And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What was Simon Peter doing? How were they fishing? When were they fishing? How were they fishing? With nets. When were they fishing? At night. That's right. They were using nets at night. Master, we have toiled all night, and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down my nets. So they fished at night, and they used a net, and then how did they catch it? Why don't we use a pole and a line at night today? Because you can't see it. So how did the disciples use nets at night? They had a light. They had some kind of lantern, some kind of lamp that they hung out over the water. The fish were attracted to the light. They cast out their nets, and they drew in the fish. That ever occurred to you when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men? So now it begins to make sense when he says that his followers are to be the what of the world? They're to be the light of the world. We're to be the light of the world. Why? Because light attracts fish. And when fish are attracted, then you cast your net and draw them in. And that's in the very next chapter, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel. What do they do? They light a lamp and, I wish you said they light a lamp and hang it out over the water so that it draws fish. And when those fish are attracted to the light, then you cast the net and draw them in. His followers, depending on what kind of light they shine, attract fish. And then when those fish are attracted, then you cast the net. Paul Harvey said something I thought was pretty profound. Um, And it's, it's in the outline. Just briefly, Paul Harvey said, somewhere along the way, we have drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. 
You see the difference? We have drifted away from being fishers of men to just being keepers of the aquarium. We aren't fishing anymore because when you, when you fish, first of all, you've got to have a light and it needs to be bright. How do you have a bright light? Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But when he ascended back to the Father, he placed his Holy Spirit in us and we became the light of the world. And that's why I said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Your good works don't glorify yourself, but they are a reflection of the kind of love that you have for God, that you are obeying God, that you are following God because you love him. And when that light shines and when it shines brightly, it draws people to him and you're able to fish and fish successfully. So sometimes our lights are shining brighter than others and then sometimes even when our lights are shining, we aren't casting any nets because you've got to do both. You've got to shine your light and you've got to cast the net. And that's when people get saved. So if, if you haven't brought people into the kingdom recently, you need to ask yourself, what is it? Am I not shining my light brightly enough or am I just not casting the net? Because both those things are important to uh, people, bringing people to God. What about, what happens when our lights aren't bright enough and people aren't being saved? What do we do? Well, we start using some trickery. We start using deception. And I see this happen a lot. We try to use lures instead of nets. And uh, that happens in evangelism all too often. What happens? Well, we throw a line out, and, and what's a lure? It's, 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 a, it's bait, and it has a hook in it. And um, you hook the fish. He doesn't know what's happening until you, you reel him in. And we do that sometimes in evangelism. We don't really tell the truth, and we water it down. <clears throat> in order to attract more people to Jesus. I remember in high school, um, our youth group, we went out armed with a pamphlet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And uh, you take this pamphlet <clears throat> and you tell people if they do this, this, and this, and say this little prayer, bam, they're saved. And you can put a notch on your belt. <clears throat> and I think what we did actually was more harm than good. Because we told people how easy it was to be a Christian, how simple it was to be saved, and we were really just talking about cheap grace. And all you got to do is say this and do this, and you're saved, and nothing else. But then what happens when people find out that Jesus actually places demands on their lives, that he actually has expectations for how they live and what they do? Well, they feel like they've been hoodwinked, and they and they get discouraged. And so that's why a lot of people, you know, some churches have a lot of baptisms but not much growth in their membership because they, they bring people in with hooks and lures instead of telling the full gospel, instead of explaining not just how to be saved but what it means to be saved, what it means to lead a Christian life. And we did more harm than good when we did that because... Later in that person's life, it just became even harder for someone to lead them to Christ after they had been tricked into salvation probably earlier 
in their lives. Have you ever known anybody that happened to any time that, that thing experienced? It can happen. And so, whereas there are things that you can say and do to be saved, that's not all there is to following Christ. It's a lot more than just putting that hook in with that bright bait and that lure and yanking it out and deceiving them into salvation. So what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, let me just say up front, it is not a small decision to be a follower of Christ. It is not an easy decision. It's something that requires everything, that changes everything. It means putting Jesus first in everything, not just what I want to do, not where I want to go, not just my thinking, but it means walking so closely with Jesus that you spend time with him and fellowship with him and following him. It means spending time in his word, spending time in prayer and seeking out the heart of God and following him as closely as you can. There are some folks who didn't really want to do that. Let me give you some examples. Um, over in Luke 9, Jesus is really challenging people to follow him. Um, Luke 9, verse 57. They were going along. A man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have air, of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. To another he said, uh, oh, but to him he said, leave the dead to bury their dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another he said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go and say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's happening here? Jesus, there, there are crowds that follow Jesus at a distance. And occasionally someone will come to him and say, I want to be a follower of yours, Jesus. I want to be closer to you. I want to be in, in closer proximity to you. And Jesus said, well, you follow me then. He said, well, wait a minute. Let me go and bury my father. To another said, I, you know, I want to follow you, but, but let me first go and say goodbye to my family. I mean, those sound like reasonable requests, don't they? I need to bury my father. Let me go say goodbye to my family. What they're really doing is saying, I will follow you, but there's an exception. I will follow you, but, but let, let me take care of this first. Let me handle it. And it, aren't we like that in so many ways? Jesus, I will abandon everything. I will give up everything and follow you. Just not right now. Let me take care of this first. Let me graduate first. Let me make this level of income first. Let me, take care, let, me, let me raise my children. Let me do everything else. And when everything is perfect, when all my circumstances are taken care of, then I will follow you. Let me tell you what's going on in these two examples. One guy says, let me first go and bury my father. Well, the background of this is when someone dies, actually in Jesus' day, they're buried the same day. They didn't have embalming. You know, when someone dies and Lazarus is dead, he's in the tomb, bam, right then. It happens. Um, and so what the man is actually saying is his father isn't dead. His father isn't even sick. He's saying, let me first go and 
take care of my father until he dies and he's buried. And I don't know when that might be, but when that's taken care of, then I will come and follow you. Do you see the difference? You see what he's saying? And the other one, let me first go and say farewell to those at home. What he's saying is, you know, let me go and work out everything at home and with their blessing, then I will come and follow you. Well, what if they don't want that person to follow Jesus? We've had that happen in our church before. We've had young people who've come and professed their faith in Jesus and are waiting to get baptized, and they went home and told their families, and guess what? Their family said, you ain't doing that. You aren't gonna, you aren't gonna join that church. You aren't gonna get baptized. And we never saw them again. And so what Jesus is saying, when you follow me, there can be no exceptions. There can be no excuses. There can be no delays. You're a follower of me or you are not. But it can't be both ways. To one man, he said, he said uh, what's the greatest commandment in the king, uh, you know, greatest commandment later on? It's over in uh, Matthew 19. And Jesus said, um, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And this rich young ruler said, well, I've done all that. And what did Jesus say to him then? Then go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have riches in heaven, and come and follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He went away sorrowful he had many possessions. You remember that? Why did Jesus say that to him? Because Jesus saw his heart and he knew the one exception. He knew the one thing that was standing in the way of that man's following him. And he said, give it up. Give it up. Trust me. And he wasn't willing to do that. He didn't love Jesus enough to trust him. I know I've told you all about my, my call to the ministry before. It's really strange. I was in college, and I was studying something else, and I was miserable. And I, I knew that, that God may have been calling me to the ministry, but I wasn't willing to do that. And so my prayer was, it sounds silly, but this was my mind at the time. God, I will I'll become a minister but just don't ask me to be a missionary to China. To me, that was just the remotest, extremest, most different, and Bill's shaking his head here because he knows what Dana does every summer and every year. Um, I just don't want to do that. Um, I'm not willing to go that far. And guess what happened? I got stuck. I got stuck. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't hear God, and um, I just felt like my prayers weren't, weren't going anywhere, and I just, I just became more and more unhappy, more and more miserable. And finally, one night, I knelt beside my bed in the dorm room, and I said, God, okay, if you want me to be a missionary to China, I'll go. And God said, Wayne, you crazy thing. I don't want you to be a missionary to China. I just wanted you to be willing to be. Because that shows me your trust. 
and your love. And I learned right then that God doesn't call us to something that's going to make us miserable. He's going to call us to something that brings us joy. And that's when my relationship with God opened up and he began to reveal, what, God, what do you, what's, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And that's when everything began to unfold. But it wasn't until I was willing to say, I give up. It's not what I want, but it's what you want, God. Because I know in the center of your will, I'll be the happiest, most fulfilled person I can be because I'll be fulfilling the purpose that you created me. And that's all God wants to hear. And when you say that and when you mean that, then the relationship is open, the channels are open, and everything begins to flow between you and the Father as it should. So, what does following Jesus require? How do you know if you're a follower of Jesus or merely curious? How do you know if you're a genuine follower of Jesus or just um, investigating what it might mean? Well, let me ask you some hard questions. What have you left behind? What priorities have been changed in your life? Hard questions. If there is no significant difference in your life from the time before you met Jesus until now, what difference is there in your life between the time before you met Jesus and now, and, and you're saying, well, gosh, I became a Christian when I was a child, you know, and that's all I've ever really known. Well, then what's the, difference in your, what's the difference in your life between you and someone who's not a Christian? Let's make it present tense. Not just how has your life changed, how has, not just how has your life evolved in your relationship with Christ, but how are you different today from a non-Christian? And don't just say, well, I'm sitting in church today and he's not. Or I've been baptized and, he, and she hasn't. It's more than that. What is a significant difference in your life as a follower of Christ? How brightly is your light shining for Christ? And if you can't say, my light is shining brightly and people know I'm a Christian because I don't do what everybody else is doing. I live my life differently, not as a badge to be openly displayed, but because I love God and I, I genuinely want to obey him and follow him and serve him. If there's no difference in your life between the time, before the time you met Christ until now, then you might not be following Jesus very closely. He might have just gone on ahead and left you behind. So you have to figure that out. Not only are you following Jesus, but how closely are you following him? Albert Schweitzer, brilliant medical missionary to Africa, wrote this book that everybody talks about but nobody has ever read called Quest for the Historical Jesus. And it's about that thick, and I got it in my library, and I hadn't read it. But there's a, there's a passage in it that everybody quotes and he's a smart guy, so it took me reading it several times to kind of figure out what he was saying. But he says this. 
He comes to us as one unknown without a name. As of old by the lakeside, he came to those men who knew him not. He speaks to us the same words, follow thou me, and sets us to the tasks which he has to fulfill for our time. Remember, this guy's a medical missionary in Africa. Brilliant. He commands, and to those who obey him, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils and the conflicts and the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship and as an ineffable mystery, an unexplainable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. Did you understand that? In following Jesus, in walking with him, in obeying him, in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings, the hardships, we will understand through that experience who he is. And isn't that what being a Christian is all about? Walking closely with Jesus, obeying his commands because we love him. And in that relationship, it becomes even more intimate who he is. Let's bow together. God, there's nothing we want more than walking closely with you and following you. And I don't know what that means for me tomorrow, and I don't know what it means for anybody here today. And so that's why we have to stay close to you, because you might tell us to turn left or turn right or keep going straight ahead or, or slow down or speed up. And so help us to see your footsteps clearly and help us to get as close to you as we possibly can, whatever that might mean. It might mean giving up something that we enjoy doing. It might mean start doing something that we've never really done. It might mean spending more time with you and fellowship and reading the Bible and praying in quiet time. But there's got to be a change so that our light can shine. Otherwise, we're just like everybody else. There's no difference in who we are today from before we were saved. There's no difference in who we are today from those around us who aren't saved. What kind of light is that? No wonder we aren't catching any fish. We're just keeping the aquarium. And a lot of wonderful fish are dying off to old age, who've been faithful church members, who've sustained this church, who have carried on the gospel of Christ on the mission field, and there's no one to replace them. God, help us shine our light brightly and cast the net wide and far so that it hauls in a great catch and we'll have to call other churches in to help haul in the hoard that's coming to you. Just as Peter did that night when you told him to cast the net out. God, we love you. Remove anything in our lives that reveal a lack of love and a lack of trust. Somehow we know better. 
how to run our lives than you do? Show us that's not true. And show us that you, who loved us and created us and love us still, put us together. And you know what it will take in our lives to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. We want to affirm that this day and shine our light and cast the net and be fishers of men. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.